from the Lighthouse Bible Church. Happy Fourth of July to you Americans out there. I say that because we do have people from other countries that watch us on the internet. So, but I'm sure they love America too. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for gathering us here. We know, Father, that you have blessed us in this place for many years, and we want to thank you for that this morning. We also want to thank you for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and was raised from the dead. We also want to thank you for one another and the perseverance and love that we have had for one another all these years. We ask today, Father, that the Holy Spirit, once again, would inspire us in the Word of God and the loving of one another and giving and praying, all those things. And we also ask today, Father, that the Word that is in that you've prepared for us today would be edifying and challenging. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, I mentioned, of course, already that this is the last service in this building. It's been our home for eight years, and um, so it's kind of an emotional day. Um, and speaking of, of emotional, I just can't leave here without expressing once again our gratitude for Steve and Marilyn Pomeroy. Because they have done, like it's in the, pres- the present tense, but I feel like there's... Anyway, they've done, they did so much for us. Um, the support in many, many ways over the years. And uh, I particularly think of them and uh, all they've done for us today. And I just want to once again thank them. Um, they're probably in heaven having a great time. So, but in any event, and all of you, you know, who have been a part of this and have taken care of us in all these many ways, um, thank you. All right. Um, so this is our last service here. What that means is that we're going to start to, to uh, meet this Thursday at Cam Consulting. Now, um, I have the address up here again today. Uh, we also have prepared uh, pieces of paper with the uh, address on the front, map on the back. Um, if anyone wants one, you can raise your hand now because Jack's got them right there in the back. If anyone would like to have a printed copy, so that way, uh, worse comes to worse. I mean, we may we may be having power outages still on Thursday of this storm. I don't think this storm's going to be too bad. But having a paper copy, I'm old fashioned myself. I like having a paper copy. Yeah, raise those hands. Raise those hands. Okay, so that's the uh, that's our address coming up. I mentioned this uh, last week. Just once again, this is where we're going to be. This is uh, orientation. This is ninety five. This is Southwest Tenth. Coming if you're coming off ninety five. You get to where the first light going west, you take that left turn, five rights later, you're here. Um, we're going to try to have a sign at this corner so that you know you're there, if we can get that done. Um, coming from the east, same, I mean, from, the, from the west, same thing, southwest 10th, last right before 95. Coming from the east, you pretty similar, do a similar thing as those on 95, past 95, next left. Okay. <clears throat> Um, once again, I want to mention that uh, we will be in this building, not to, not to have services, but, oh, and, and I want to make sure you know that starting this Thursday, all right, so Bible study this Thursday is going to be at Camp Consulting. 
Okay, so make a note of that. And then, thereforward, um, all our services, Sunday and Thursday, will continue to be there, of course. Um, after we close on our building, we will have one month. I know you've heard this before, but I want to keep reminding everybody that we're going to need help. All right? I don't know if it's going to be an overwhelming amount, but we will need some help in packing for the move. Um, when, we, when we're getting ready for that, I'll let you know, obviously, um, we're still gathering together, even though we're not in this building. So I'll let you know over there at Camp Consulting when we're going to come back here and pack them stuff up so that, that we're taken with us. Again, today, if you want to look around again or if you had something on your mind and now you found a spot for it, by all means, let us know and you can have it. If it doesn't have that blue tag on it. You can take it. All right. All right. The message today comes, of course, from John chapter 5. Our title today is Witness Testimony. Witness testimony. We're going to read the passage starting in John 5.30 this morning. John 5.30 through 38. I'll give you a moment to get there. John 5.30 to 38. We will, by the way, be celebrating the Lord's service at the end of service today. So... I mean, the Lord's Supper. What did I say? The Lord's service? Lord's Supper. At the end of service, today. John 5, 30 to 38. I can do nothing. This is the Lord, of course, speaking. His audience are what are called the Jews in the Gospel of John, which is not every Jewish person, but it's the leadership. When John uses that word, almost always in his Gospel, he's talking about the leadership, the establishment, the high priests and the Pharisees and the scribes and that sort of thing. Sanhedrin. And he's talking to them, and he says, I can do nothing. Now, he's talking to them because, remember, he has pretty much made it clear several times that he is God in the flesh, that he is the Son of God. And now he's going to go about, in a sense, proving it. And the way that's going to work is he's going to bring witnesses to the stand, as it were. So that's, that's what's happening today. Jesus has made his argument several times about who he is, and now he's going to point to others who will be witnesses to that fact that he is the Christ the Son of God. Okay, let's start again. John 5.30. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but I seek the will of him who sent me. If I alone testify about myself, my testimony then is not true. There is another who testifies about me. And I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man. But I say these things so that you may be saved. He, John, was the lamp that was burning and was shining. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, Testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. What Jesus is really teeing up in in this passage this morning is the fact that not only is he God's son, but the Father sent him to do and to say everything. So that everything that the Lord 
says, everything he does, is tied into the will of his father who in fact sent him. And he sent him ultimately to go die on the cross for our sins and, and be raised from the dead. His destiny, his mission was the salvation of the world. As, as John said, he is the lamb of God. The Gospel of John is full of witness testimony to the facts about who Jesus is. In fact, that's the whole, if you look at it, almost every, no, in fact, every chapter of the Gospel of John has one kind of witness or another to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You, you can't miss it. If you come away from reading the Gospel of John and you don't pick up on that, man, you've been sleeping through the whole thing because it's full of testimony. And, and, and you might say, why does he have to keep repeating himself? Well, first of all, we need repetition. But secondly, you see, he is going to face all kinds of different people with all kinds of different agendas, with all kinds of uh, obstacles in their heart to believing in him. And so what, he's, what he has done, what the Father has done through him, is to provide overwhelming testimony of many kinds so that whoever is out there has no excuse for not believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and it must be something in them that makes the decision not to. Okay. We find, again, witness testimony in each and every chapter of this gospel. But here in chapter 5, especially in this section, the testimony comes rapid fire, one after the other. As a matter of fact, in John 5, starting in verse 30, where we are today, through the end of the chapter, verse 37... There are five credible witnesses that take the stand, as it were, to testify that Jesus is the Messiah, the very Son of God. And they are as follows. Number one, God the Father. God the Father. His testimony, the fact that he does testify on behalf of the Son, we find that in verses 32, 34, and 37 to 38. That's the testimony of the Father. Verses 32, 34, and 37 to 38. The second witness that's mentioned here is John the Baptist. It, you know, I continue to marvel at the fact that he's so important to this gospel, John the Baptist. You know, and, and, and I think about it like if you think about the prologue, right? Chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Do you realize that the only one who's named, is named in that passage is John the Baptist? I mean, name with his name, all right? That's, that's significant. In any event, John the Baptist is also a witness, a testimony to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the very Son of God. His witness is particularly to the Jewish people so that they may see and have revealed to them that Jesus is their promised Messiah as well as the Son of God. So we have God the Father. And then John the Baptist, that's in verses 33 to 35, which we'll study in some detail this morning. Those are the first two. God the Father, John the Baptist. Number three, the works of Jesus. The very works that he does. We'll see more about what those are. But those works themselves testify to the fact that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. That what he does fulfills what the prophets said the Messiah would do. But not only that, but what he does and what he says also proves that he is the very Son of God. So his works do that. That's in verse 36. Now, we will see this next week, but the fourth witness is the words that Jesus speaks. 
the very words that he speaks, witness to the fact that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. That's number four. We'll see that next week in verse 47. And the last one is the scriptures. Especially the writings of Moses here that he will focus on. Again, why? Because he is speaking to his audience. His audience, well, right now, his audience are the Jewish leaders, the intellectuals, the ones who should know their Bible best, Pharisees. But in general, he is testifying, you know, Jesus' mission throughout almost all of the Gospel of John, as is true also for the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is primarily to the Jewish people. It's really only starting at chapter 13 that he turns and then talks about the fact that his, his mission, his gospel, who he is, is for the whole world. Now, that's been revealed, but for the most part, when Jesus is, of course, he's in Jerusalem, he's in Galilee, he is preaching to the Jewish people, for the most part. We have seen one example already, where we have the Samaritan woman, where she's not a Jewish person. So there are some things that indicate, start to open up the idea that he is for everybody. Of course, that will really become clear in the, in the book of Acts when Peter goes out and he's going he's gonna to evangelize a guy by the name of Cornelius and his whole family. All right? But then he steps aside and then, of course, the apostle Paul is the one who is sent to go and witness to what they knew as their world, the whole Roman Empire, or most of it. So the scriptures, particularly the writings of Moses, are... Another, a fifth witness to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And you'll, we're going to see that next week in verses 39, as well as verses 45 to 47. Okay, So those are the five witnesses. God the Father, John the Baptist, the works of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and the scriptures. Particularly the writings of Moses. Today we're going to learn about those first three, because they're in our portion this morning. God the Father, John the Baptist, and the works of Jesus. Let's begin in John 5.30, the first verse in our passage this morning. John 5.30. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. Now we've seen already that that the theme that he brought out in the prior section of John chapter 5 had to do with the fact that he brings life and he brings judgment. Okay, And so here he's following up on the fact that the fact that he judges is based on what he's heard from the Father, the Father's will, and that means every judgment that he makes is just. I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, what he's saying is, is that not only do I have my own impeccable character, But I also have the character of my father who's God. He's the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God that the psalmists and David and and the prophets over and over again said was the God of righteousness and justice. So he he is saying essentially that the God of righteousness and justice is the one who is going to judge. because he, But he's given that judgment to me and therefore all of my judgments are also righteous and just. Now, the other thing about verse, th- verse 30 is that it completes the paragraph that we started in verse 19. Now, we're not going to go through that all this morning, but I would just like you to see the first verse of the paragraph that ends in verse 30. That first verse is found in John 5, 19. So 19 through 30, 
our unit, as it were. And they begin with a, with a statement and they end with a statement. All right, let's, let's take a look at John 5.19, keeping in mind what we just read in John 9.30, namely that Jesus said, I don't do anything on my own initiative. I hear from the Father and I judge accordingly. Look at John chapter 5, verse 19. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. Now, doesn't that remind you of what we just saw in verse 30? Right? Verse 30 says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. Verse 19, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. So, so far, they're completely parallel to one another. Okay, but there are now going to be some differences. And those are every bit as important to pay attention to as the similarities. See, the similarities between those two sentences say this was the big subject of of verses 19 through 30. The fact that I do nothing on my own initiative. I I only act according to the to the will of my father. And that's what he says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless It is something he sees the Father doing. For what the Father does, these things the Son does in like manner. Now, I emphasize the words seeing and doing, okay? Because that was the the main subject, okay, of verses 19 through 29 anyway, that, that whatever Jesus is doing, it's because the Father's doing it. If Jesus was healing on the Sabbath, it's because the Father's work continues all the time. And as he'll say later on, you know, the Sabbath wasn't, was, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And since my Father heals and blesses and brings the rain and the sunshine every day, therefore I am his son as he does, I do. And therefore I will heal on the Sabbath. Okay, so that was the context. But notice he says seeing and doing. Now look at verse 30 again. What does he say there? Starts out the same way. I can do nothing on my own initiative. Okay? The son can do nothing of himself. I do nothing on my own initiative. But notice how it's different now. He says what? As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. By the way, that expression, him who sent me, that's the father who sent me, that's going to be very prominent in the, in the Gospel of John from here forward. We've already actually seen it a couple of times already. So he's emphasizing the fact that I'm not here of my own accord. I'm here because God the Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sent me. Those are my credentials. And therefore, if you claim to believe in the God of the Old Testament, then you have to listen to me because he sent me. Okay. But now verse 19, as we saw and I emphasized, talks about seeing and doing. Well, what does he talk about here? Does he talk about what he sees the Father doing? In verse 30, does he say, as I see the Father doing, I do? Does he? No. What does he say? As I hear, I judge. So in other words, he sees and he hears. He does and he judges. All right, so those are different things, but they, 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 this, all together they tell you what you need to know. And it's going to set up for the fact that he's going to turn around and say to the Jewish leaders, you don't hear and you don't see, but he does. He sees everything the Father's doing. He hears everything that's in the Father's will. He hears all the words that he's going to say because he hears them coming from the Father. So again, verse 19 talks about seeing and doing. Verse 30 
talks about hearing and judging. In both cases, he does nothing on his own initiative, nothing of himself. (laughs) Again, verse 19, Jesus says that he sees what the Father does. He sees everything that the Father does. Now, let me ask you something. If they actually believed that God sent him, and if they, if, they, if they understand that what he sees, he does, and what he sees is the Father and the Father acting, and I pointed this out last week, who is it among us who sees everything that the Father does? Raise your hand. <laughs> There's nobody, right? So if some, no human other than Jesus, because if somebody is seeing everything the Father does, then that means that that person has to at least have access to heaven, but even more than that, if he sees everything the Father does, because so much of what he does is even hidden from the angels, we know that because when Jesus comes and rises from the dead and the church age begins, we find out that the angels marvel about the things that the Lord's doing through us. So So the things that the Father does, if someone knows all of them, that person has to be God as well. Okay. So we've seen that. Let's continue this morning in verses 41, 31 and 32. Now, he's just said, I don't do anything of myself, right? He said, listen, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Then he goes on and he explains how that falls into, flows into the fact that he's testifying. Notice verse 31. If I alone, what does that mean? I'm doing something of myself. It's on my own initiative. If I alone testify about myself... My testimony is not true. Now, that doesn't mean that he's saying that when he talks about himself, he's, not, he's lying. What it means is that if he were to talk about himself and it wasn't according to the will of the Father, that would be a lie. But that's impossible, as we're going to see. Why? Because as he hears, he speaks. As he sees, he does. He does nothing except what's in the Father's will. All right, so again, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Not valid. Okay, there is another who testifies of me. Now, in, Jew, in Jewish, Jewish jurisprudence, big fat word for saying how they run their court system and their witnesses. Remember, I don't know if you know, but they said that you have to have at least two witnesses in order for anything to be accepted as credible testimony. So here he's basically saying there are two already, me and my father. Okay, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Now, verses 31 and 32 follow right on from logically from verse 30. Jesus can do nothing on his own initiative. That must include testifying about himself, because that's something he does. And therefore, if he does nothing on his own initiative, he, the testimony he gives about himself is not on his initiative. It's because the Father has already talked about that. As a matter of fact, we know that the Father works through the Son, particularly in the area of judgment as well as life. He says, I have given, the Father has given all judgment to the Son. It comes from the Father. The Father has, 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 has given the, the life and the ability for Jesus to give life to people, or at least the authority to do so. Okay. So again, they follow logically. There is an, he does nothing on his own initiative. That includes testifying about himself. If he were to deviate at all from his father's testimony, if he were to say something that the father hadn't already told him to say, if he had said something that was outside of the father's will, 
or outside of the testimony that the father gives about him, well, that testimony would be invalid. But that is not possible. Because everything he does, he does because he sees the father doing it. And in verse 32, notice what it says again. There is another who testifies of me. And I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. We've seen that word true in in a couple of places. And what that means basically is that it's accurate, it's totally credible, and completely valid. Okay. In other words, it's kind of like what what people put their hand on the Bible and swear to when they're in court. I I promise to to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Well, that's what God the Father's testimony is about his son. It's the truth, it's the whole truth, and it's nothing but the truth. And see, Jesus knows this, of course. But the issue is, the tragedy is, the conflict is that the Jewish leadership will reject all of that. And by so doing, by rejecting Jesus and the testimony about Jesus, they're rejecting God the Father and the testimony that the Father gives about the Son. A very serious, serious thing. Now, when we talk, when he talk, when we talk about the, the testimony that the Father gives, okay, that begs the question, right? There's another of the same nature. By the way, when it says in verse 32, there's another. Now, sometimes you've got to look at the Greek because it has, it, has, it has two words for another. Another of a different kind and another of the same kind. Now, which, one, which Greek word do you think is being used? Another of a different kind? When it comes to the father and versus the son, or another of the same kind. The same kind, exactly. Another of the same kind who testifies of Jesus is his father. So the, so the question then becomes, well, what is the testimony? In other words, if he's saying, my testimony alone, but my testimony of my father makes the case clear, then you have to ask the question, well, what testimony does the father give about the son? And it's a very good question. Don't you agree? Don't you, doesn't that, at that point, isn't kind of like that's what you're asking now? What's that testimony all about? He's saying that it's 100% accurate, 100% credible. What is it? What is the testimony that the Father gives about the Son? Well, there's a principle in the Bible, and it goes like this. If you don't know what something means, check out the neighborhood. Have you heard that before? Check out the passages either before or after, and usually after, because what it were, if you have a question, you come to a verse, you have a question about it, usually if you keep reading, you'll get the answer. And, and this is no different, because here we learn about the nature of the Father's testimony concerning Jesus in verses 36 to 38. I'd like you to, read, we're going to come back to 36 through 38, but I want us to go there now. Look at verses 36 through 38. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. Now, in context, as we saw the first time we read through this, after he talks about himself, he's going to talk about John the Baptist and the witness that he gave. Now he's done with that, and then he goes to the Father. The testimony which I have, which I receive from my Father, is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, Testify about me that the Father has sent me. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. 
What's that telling? If there's a witness that's testifying, and then there's people over there who don't hear his voice, what does that mean? It means that they don't want to hear it, right? They reject it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I know that you've rejected the testimony of my father because you don't hear it and you haven't seen his form. And the person who's speaking is a person who is God in the flesh. And so he knows if they reject him, then they reject the father. And if they reject him, then they have not seen what God has given them, which is God in the flesh. All right. In any event, stole some of my thunder later on, but seems like the right place to talk about it. Now look, at, now look at the issue finally in verse 38. You do not have his word. At this point, this isn't Jesus' word anymore. It's God the Father's word. You don't have his word. So what does this tell us? It tells us that the Father gives two kinds of testimony. And what, and what are they? The first one, as, we've, as we see first, is the works that he gives Jesus to perform. You see, now we might say, if, if there, Jesus is doing his works then he's testifying. However, now you have to follow this along. If he does nothing except what he sees the Father doing, and everything that he does is because his Father instructed him to do it, then his very works are testimony to the Father. The works that the Father has given the Son to perform. The Father sends the Son. He sends him with works to perform. When he performs those works, it's as if the Father were doing it. So it's really the testimony of the Father. They don't believe any of that, but it doesn't matter. The second one is the word that the Father has spoken concerning his Son. They should have been able to hear his voice, God the Father, because his voice was shouted out in the Old Testament scriptures. You've got to remember, at this time, the New Testament has not been written. All right, this is going on during the public ministry of Jesus, probably in the late like 20, AD 29 to AD 32, something like that anyway. The first book of the Bible, the New Testament, won't be written for another 10 years. And so they didn't know anything about the New Testament. So so the scriptures that they should have heard Father's voice when reading were the Old Testament ones. Genesis, Deuteronomy, the prophets, the Psalms. They testified about the Son of God. And they should, the Jews, especially the leadership, especially the students of the word of God, should have been able to hear his voice, the fathers, even in the Old Testament scriptures. But now that Jesus has come, they have absolutely no excuse because he who sees the son now sees the father because he's God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He who does not honor the son, they certainly do not honor the son. As we've already seen that when they heard him saying that, you know what? I'm the father's working till now and I'm working like him. And they realized what he was saying was that he's saying he's God. Then they wanted to kill him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I want to honor somebody, I usually wouldn't kill them. Right? Right. Wake up. No, I'm just kidding. That wouldn't be my choice, my method of choice to honor somebody. That's what they were doing. So clearly they didn't honor the father who sent the son. Okay, back to verse 5533. Go back. So I've been nice to you this morning. All of this movement is going on within eight verses. You've been staying on the same page, probably most of you. And that's good. See, relax. It's okay. John 533. You, now remember, who's you here? 
You are the leadership, the Pharisees, the scribes, right? You guys, he's saying, have sent to John. I don't know if you remember, but in John chapter 3, they sent a delegation out. John was in the wilderness. John was by the Jordan River. They wanted to find out about what he was doing and who he thought he was. Remember that? The delegation they sent. And um, so he has testified. Again, verse 33, you, leadership, Jewish leadership, sent to John. And you heard him, and he has testified to the truth. I want you to think about this. The point he's making is that John has already testified about who Jesus is. They sent a delegation out to find what John was all about. They found out what he was all about. He must increase, I must decrease. He called him the Lamb of God. He said, this is the Son of God. So they had already heard the testimony, in other words. John has testified to the same thing, that I am the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what Jesus is saying here. But then he goes on. Look at verse 34. But the testimony which I receive, what he's saying isn't that he doesn't care about the testimony of John or he rejects it. What he's saying is, is that the testimony that ultimately matters to me is my father's testimony. Right? That's what he's saying. So then you might ask the question, if that's true, then why did he even talk about the testimony of John? Well, he gives you the answer. See, as usual. He gives you the answer. He says, the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. In other words, the testimony of John wasn't really important as far as identifying who Jesus was. The real point about John's testimony is so that they would understand who Jesus is. Verse 35. Well, notice he says that, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Jesus was sent to save the whole world. John was his herald. The purpose of John was to point to the light, Jesus, so that all might be saved. Verse 35, talking about John, he was the lamp that was burning. By this time, John's witnessing is over. His ministry is done. He was probably in prison at this time. But he was the lamp that was shining when he was baptizing and testifying. He was burning and he was shining. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. And that's a fact. I mean, the ministry of John the Baptist at the, at, the, at the Jordan River was spectacular. And people came. They were excited about it. They were rejoicing in the fact that yet he is saying that prepare the way of the Lord, that the Lord is coming. And they knew that that meant the kingdom was coming. And they were real happy about that. So, and by the way, the people that he's talking to now were... The Pharisees and the scribes, at least for a while, at least for a while. Notice, he's, he came, whoops, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, John, was the lamp that was burning and was shining. He's preparing. He was the light that was reflected off Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Well, let's go back now and let's check out the testimony that John gave. Let's begin in John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Go to John chapter 1. Of course, we'll be back in chapter 5 in just a little while. But now we know Jesus has brought up the testimony of John the Baptist and that he testified to the truth about who Jesus is. So let's look at it ourselves once again. We have been in all these passages once, at least already. Let's go back. John chapter 1, verse 6. There came a man sent from God. Now that should sound familiar. What has Jesus been, been emphasizing when he's talking about these witnesses? 
they are witnessing to the one who sent me. But here we see that first God sent somebody else, right? Whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness. You see, we already knew that John was the witness to Jesus Christ's deity and the fact that he's the Messiah. Because we were told at the very beginning of this gospel. Now remember, the prologue of this gospel didn't track his ministry. So this was not said to the people at that time. It's said to us. You see, we, we get, a, we get the, like the, the summary of everything before it happens in the book. Okay. There came a man from John, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light. The light is the life of men. Jesus is the light. He testified about the light. He testified about who Jesus is. Why? So that all might believe through him. Everybody that God sends here has one objective, one mission, one goal. And that is that all might believe. True of John, it's true of Jesus. God the Father is single-minded. I am sending you, John, I am sending you my son, in order that you may be saved. How are you saved? Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing the Son of God. But God's motivation, we saw this in John 3, was that everybody be saved. No different in John's witness. He came as a witness to testify about the light, the Son of God, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. See, that's what the, that the delegation that went to see John wanted to make sure he didn't think he was the light, the Messiah. The first question that he, no, it's the first thing he said. I make it clear that I am not the Christ, okay? I am not the ultimate light, okay? But I am one who receives light temporarily so that I can shine it on who really is the light, Jesus Christ. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Three times in this passage, it's emphasized that John the Baptist was a witness to the light, Jesus Christ. He testified about the light. Three times it says that. Now, John, as I mentioned already, testified to a delegation that had been sent by the Jewish leaders. These are the same Jewish leaders that now Jesus is talking to. And by the way, we'll rebuke in just a little while, look at John 1.19. Go forward and let's see the testimony of John once again. The prologue prepares us for this. And it's very interesting. The very first verse at the, after the end of the prologue, which is verses 1 through 18, John's back on the scene. And what is he there to do? This is the testimony of John. Witness testimony. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders, the Jewish establishment, sent a delegation from Jerusalem made up of priests, Levites, Pharisees, as as we find out a little later. And they asked him one question. What was the question? Who are you? And again, that's the question of the whole gospel, only it's not a question about John. It's a question about Christ. Who is Jesus? That's the, that is the point of this gospel. But they wanted to know about John because they heard his, his mission was, his ministry was spectacular. Many people, hundreds and hundreds of people were going out in the desert to see what John was all about. And they wanted to find out who he was. Who are you? And of course, he would tell them that I'm not the Christ. All he was was a voice, a lamp, crying out in the wilderness. Notice what he did testify, though, about Jesus Christ. Look at John 1. 
29. Keep going in chapter 1. See, I'm being really nice to you again this morning. Right? Well, little by little in chapter 1 now. Because this is all about John's testimony. John 1, verse 29. What did, what did John told the leaders, the delegation of the lead, from the leaders, that I'm not the Christ. Okay, let's get that settled once and for all. But what did he testify about Jesus? Not about himself. John 1, 29. The next day... He saw Jesus coming to him, and he said what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That, that's the first testimony that John the Baptist has about Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. What he's saying here is, well, first of all, of course, we know that he is um, prefiguring in his words what's going to happen at the cross and the resurrection. But in addition to that, what he's saying is that, that he is the Christ, the Messiah who has come, and he's the Son of God. Okay, look at verse 34. Here's more testimony that John gave about Jesus Christ. Look at John 1.34. I myself have seen. Notice he emphasizes, I've seen it myself. And now I've testified what? That this is the Son of God. What's the point of the whole Gospel of John? I've, John says, I've written these things to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And we find this out in the very first chapter. Not only in the prologue, but also now in the testimony that John the Baptist already gave to the Jewish leaders. They already, that, believe me, that delegation went running back and said, you got the wrong guy. The guy that John is claiming is the Messiah is this new guy, Jesus, right? So John was testifying in clear terms now. There's no mistaking it. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Son of God. He's talking about Jesus. And again, I want to emphasize this. The Jewish leaders heard that already. While they were still rejoicing in the ministry of John. So, in other words, they're hypocrites. On the one hand, they already know this. On the other hand, they're going to go back to Jesus and deny it and want to kill him. Because he's exactly who John the Baptist said he was. Okay. So they were, so the Pharisees, the scribes, all these people came to see the spectacle. Haven't we seen that already so much, right? In John chapter 2, we're told that so many people got around Jesus in Jerusalem because of the signs he was making. The spectacle. So that's very human. You know, it's very childish, too, of course. You know, show me the glitz, the glamour, the sparkling, the fireworks. That's what I'm here to see. Do a miracle, Lord, right? That's, what, that's, that's all the Pharisees really cared about. And the leaders, when there was a buzz about his ministry, they wanted in on it. They were rejoicing for a while. They were willing to rejoice in his light for a while. However, then John started talking about repentance, and he started pointing out to them, he says, listen, why are you even here? You need to repent. They, then they weren't so happy about his, his light, his witness, and the baptism of fire, ultimately. He talked about the baptism of fire. And they knew what he meant, because as we've been studying in the, in the prophet Isaiah, the, the fire has to do with two different things. Remember, it's the love of God, and it's also the judgment of God. And they knew which one he was talking about. They, that was the, after that, they went away. And you can believe that they didn't want to accept that, which was probably why they didn't want to accept Jesus anymore. Now, here, back in John chapter 3, if you go back there with me now, 
starting in verse 33 again. John 5.33. John 5.33. Yeah. Somebody look up whether after you hit a certain age, you start to get dyslexia. You know about that? <laughs> Sometimes I look now and I like miss the, 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 uh, the colon or I miss, I look at, it's 12, anyway. You don't need to care about what I'm, you need to hear the truth. I'm sorry to distract you. Again, notice in verse 33, you have sent to John. And he has testified to the truth. You've already heard about me. But the testimony which I receive, this is the one you really should pay attention to, is not from any man, not from any human being at all. But I say these things so that you may be saved. There's testimony in the Bible that doesn't come from any man at all. In fact, all of it comes not from man. Right? Some people want to say, well, you know, men wrote the Bible. You ever heard that? You know, and that means, well, it's got to be, you know, it's just men that wrote the Bible, right? And these days, they say it this way. Men, not women, wrote the Bible because we're in this age, you know, where, oh, you know. So the point is that man didn't write one word of the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed. It comes from the Holy Spirit inspiring men. But sometimes we find special cases One of them is Jesus himself, who would not accept any testimony from man. By the way, there's another one who has the same thing to claim, and that's Paul the Apostle. He said, the gospel which I give to you is not from man either. Again and again, the the ones that speak on God's behalf have to make it clear that this came not from any man, but from the Lord. In any event, he says again, verse 34, but the testimony which I receive is not from man. But I say these things anyway, so that you may be saved. All right, so what does that mean? It means basically that Jesus did not need John's testimony in any way, shape, or form. We've already seen that. We've already got two of the witnesses, Jesus himself and God the Father. We're going to get two more. The only reason he highlighted John's testimony was for the benefit of the audience, so that they could reflect once again about what he said. And that should maybe wake them up because he was sent especially as the herald of Jesus Christ to the Jewish people. He baptized so that he may manifest Jesus to Israel. So by referencing his testimony again, Jesus is basically being gracious, being considerate. and saying, remember what he said about me. But he didn't need it. He didn't need the testimony. He already had the testimony of his very father. So the question is, why did Jesus have include John's testimony? And the answer is because it was for the sake of the Jews. Now remember, John baptized in water for one reason. A lot of people miss this. A lot of people want to talk about baptism in water in all kinds of ways. Maybe it saves people. Maybe it's a requirement now for the church. But if you go back and you look at the testimony of John in the, in the baptism, it was for one reason. And we've seen this. It's to manifest the Savior the Messiah, Jesus, to Israel. So this was a gracious thing on Jesus' part to say, I'm going to bring back the one who was designed to be that lamp that was shining to prepare the way for me. And his baptism was to manifest him as the Messiah to Israel. So John testified to the light, remember, so that all the Jews especially might believe in Christ and be saved. Verse 36 of John chapter 5. 
But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me, testify what? That the Father has sent me. That the Father has sent me. In other words, the testimony of the works that the Father has given the Son to do is far greater than the testimony of John. See, he's moving into this place where he's saying, okay, you've heard what John had to say about me. But now I'm going to move to this place and I'm going to tell you that God's my Father and he testifies about me. And that's what really matters. That's what really matters. The testimony of the works that the Father gave the Son to do is far greater than the testimony of John. Let's go to John chapter 10, holding our place in John chapter 5. Please go to John 10, starting in verse 24. You see, now remember, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Son. They didn't believe that God the Father sent him. They didn't believe, therefore, that all the works that he does were really the works that the Father prepared for him to do. By the way, do you realize the same thing is true about us? You realize that in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, after Paul talks about how we were saved by grace through faith, not of works, he then goes on and says, now we get to walk in the deeds that God has prepared for us. See, that's, we're doing the same now. Obviously not for the same purpose or the same majesty. We can't perform miracles. Don't get the wrong idea. But the works that we, we have had, we have, the Father has ordained works for you to do and for me to do. So at the same time, we look at how Jesus works, what they were all about. We can translate and say on our own level, with our own capabilities, with our own calling, it's the the same principle holds. Let's look at it in another way. John chapter 10, verse 24. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? This is funny, by the way. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Why is it humorous? Because he's already told it in so many ways. He's already in chapter 5. These are the same people, the Jews that gathered around him, the leadership. And he said, listen, you know, they said, listen, please tell us. If you're the Christ, why don't you tell us? And he, 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 he said, I already told you. <laughs> the issue isn't that I didn't tell you. The issue is that you don't believe anything that I say. Notice, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. If anybody wants to say that Jesus never claimed that he was the Messiah, you can just take them to chapter 10 of the Gospel of John, verse 25. And he said, I told you. I told you I am the Messiah. And you do not believe. That's the issue. Then he goes on and he says, notice, the works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. What he's saying is that, you know what? Even if somebody would rise from the dead, which would be the ultimate work of God the Father, you still won't believe, right? He's not saying that exactly here, but that's the principle. And again, now we have to ask another question. He's saying, the works that I do testify about me. They're they're from the Father, and they testify about me. So we have another question. What works? What works is he referring to? Well, in the greatest sense of all, it's his entire mission. Because remember, God sent him 
And he's already said that everything I do, I've seen the Father doing already. I do nothing except what the Father has told me. Therefore, the, 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 the works that the God has given them to do are pretty much his whole ministry. Culminating, you know, the high, the high point, is, as it were, where his, would be his death and his resurrection, his greatest work. And then all the way from where he's speaking today to that death and resurrection. Notice verse John chapter 17. Verse 4. John chapter 17 is the Lord's Prayer. And you might say to me, wait a minute, isn't our Father who art in heaven the Lord's Prayer? Well, I don't want to get in, I don't want it to be too distracting, but remember, he gave that to the Jews before he died and rose again, okay? But when he's talking about the church and praying for us, it's John chapter 17. But notice he's talking to the Father now. It's just him and his dad. What does he say? I glorified you on the earth. How? Having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. His entire public ministry was the work that the Father gave him to do. Why did the Father give him these works? One reason. Because he sent the Son to save the world. Again, single-minded. Now, now the fact of the matter is, is that John 17, 4, Jesus prayed to the Father the night before he would go to the cross and that his death and resurrection would be the means, ultimately, how God would save the world. He would do it through the word that would be preached, but ultimately the act... That's, that has the potential to save the world, everybody, is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what is this work? Well, you can break it down into two things. The first one are the signs that he performed, particularly the ones that proved that he was the Messiah. Let me say that again. Part of the works that Jesus did were the signs that he performed. Now, again, remember, signs are a miracle with a message. And so that Part of what he was doing, remember, if nobody believes in him, nobody gets saved. And so for, as, a, as a gesture of grace, the Father included, as the works of Jesus, these signs to perform. Particularly the ones that proved that he was the Messiah. You know, the prophets talked about when the Messiah came, these are the things that he would do. Right? Jesus did those things. Matter of fact, speaking to John the Baptist, he's, Jesus sent a delegation to John telling him, John was like, you know how it is, you're in prison, you're in a death sentence, and you're like, down. Well, Jesus sent a delegation to him saying, tell him who I am again. And he said, tell him that the works that the Messiah was to perform, I have performed. I've, I've given sight to the blind. I've healed the lame. These are all signs that the Messiah was in the presence of the people. Please go to John chapter 20 as we continue. John chapter 20. Verse 30. John chapter 20, verse 30. There's something very strange about the clock we have here. It goes from like about 1025 and then it skips to 1054. <laughs> Somebody's got to check the fix that. John 20, verse 30. Therefore, many other signs, there it is, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these, the ones that are written in this book, have been written for a purpose. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. So the works that the Father gave the Son to do included the signs that Jesus performed. But they included something else. And that other part of his works were the words that he spoke. The words that Jesus spoke himself. Okay, The Father spoke of Jesus through the Old Testament scriptures. But in his public ministry, Jesus provided lots of words that also testified to the fact that he is the Messiah. For example, remember we saw earlier in chapter 5, he says, Listen, he who hears my word, my word that I speak now and believes the Father has eternal life. Now that's power, by the way. You know, God's word is always powerful, infinitely powerful. Let there be light in a dark universe. There's light. Rise up, take your pallet, and walk. This is to a lame man, right? Just the word of God. By the way, guess what? The word of God is still powerful. That's why we come to hear it, because it's got the same power. It's got the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in God's word. Now, it's not in this book. It's not as if if I were to open to a page, all of a sudden there'd be a nuclear explosion, right? What it is is that it's power when it's in your heart, and it changes how you see everything. And it gives you that peace that surpasses understanding that is a greater power than anything in this world. In any event, the words that he spoke were part of his works. Look at John chapter 14, verse 10. John 14, 10. The words that he spoke part of those works that the Father gave him to do. John 14, 10. Do you not believe? Now, he's talking to the disciples now. He's saying, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Notice the words that I say to you. Here we go again. I do not speak on my own initiative, but who? The Father abiding in me does his works. So the Father abides in the Son, Therefore, when the Son speaks, he's not speaking of his own initiative. The Father inside him, indwelling him, does his works through the words that Jesus speaks. And we know that we saw last time that one day, the very words of Jesus will call every man out of the tombs. Now that's power, don't you think? If he can say a word, just like with Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And one man came out of the tomb. But there will be a day in the future where he'll speak and all the people will come out of the tombs. That's the power of the word of Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 10, verses 37 to 38. The works, the works, the works that the Father gave him to do. They testified to him. Verse 37 of chapter 10. Once again, Jesus is talking about the works of his Father. John chapter 10, verse 37. If, if I do not do, notice verse 37 of John chapter 10. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. What a bold statement. He's been saying, believe in me, believe in me, believe in me. But then he points, he says, listen, if I don't do, if these works I'm doing are not from the father, 
And you can check them out, by the way, because you can go to the Old Testament and you can read about the works of the Messiah. You can also be clear, like the man in chapter 9 was, who was born blind and now sees. He says, has anybody ever performed a miracle that gave sight to the blind? Therefore, this has got to be God in the flesh, right? If you do not, if I don't do the works of the Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, though you notice this, though you do not believe me, believe what? The works. You guys in chapter 10, verse 30. Right. If I don't do the works of the Father, don't believe me. But if I do the works of the Father, even if you don't believe me, believe the works. The works are the testimony too. So that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. The works that the one who sent him, the Father, Test, that gave him to do, testify that the Father has sent his Son. That testimony is not from man. That testimony is from God. And let's go back to chapter 5, verse 37, where Jesus makes that crystal clear. If you're wondering who that another was who testified of him, John 5, 37 totally clears that up. Look at John 5, 37. And the Father who sent me, there it is again, he sent me, the Father who sent me, the Father who sent me has testified of me. There it is, crystal clear. There's no question about it here, is it? Is the, has the Father testified about the Son? Yes, the Father who sent me has testified about me. Crystal clear. You have ne- noticed this, you have neither heard his voice at any time. He's testified, but you haven't heard his voice. He's testified of me. I'm in your presence. I'm telling you that I'm God in the flesh. But you say, and it's true because your eyes are blind like your ears can't hear. You've never seen his form. Why? Verse 38, because you do not have his word abiding in you. They thought that they were experts on the scriptures. The problem was it never got into their hearts. They never really believed it. They just were curious about what it had to say. There's a lot of people today that are the same way. Oh, they're into the knowledge about what the Bible says. But they don't understand that it's really the key is that you believe what the Bible says, you see. So that the word is dwelling in you richly. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. Jesus always hears the Father's voice and sees everything that the Father is doing. But the Jews that he's talking to now had not heard his voice. They had not seen his form because they did not believe that Jesus was God's son. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 as we close today. Hebrews chapter 1 starting in verse 1. Every book of the Bible has testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ. Every book of the Bible. By the way, you can ask our young people about that because we had a series in the youth group where we went through every book of the Bible to point out that Jesus is in every one of them. Okay? So, in any event, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke, notice that those Jews had not heard his voice, but he spoke. 
God spoke, after he spoke how long ago to the fathers, the Jewish leaders, all the way back, to, by the way, to the Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, where? In the prophets, in many portions. Do you realize how much testimony about the coming Messiah appears in the prophets? An incredible amount. None more than Isaiah, which we're studying right now. He spoke. God spoke to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, many ways. But now, in these last days, he's still speaking to us, but now he's speaking to us in his very son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, his words and his works, and he is the, notice this, he's the radiance of his glory. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact representation of his nature. It means he is God, and he upholds all things, how? By the word of his powerful, powerful words. We're sitting here today, we're alive. Well, I think so. <laughs> I'm teasing, right? We're alive. Why are we alive? Because of the word of his power. Why do, why do we stay on planet earth and don't fly into the universe? Because of the word of his power. Why is it that we have, well, in most of the world, the four seasons? Because of the word of his power. Why will one day every man rise out of the tombs? Because of the word of his power. Why any day now he's going to come back and we're going to be transformed from these bodies of corruption into the bodies just like his. Why? Because of the word of his power. Notice, he is the radiance of his, the Father's glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the work of his, by the word of his power. God sent his word to the nation of Israel first in many portions, in many ways, but by and large, they rejected it. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that revelation. From Genesis all the way to Malachi, he fulfills all of it, especially the prophecies. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. And yet, even though he hears his father's voice and sees everything that he's doing, they did not believe in him. If they had believed, here's what Jesus is saying here. If they would believed the words of the prophets, they would have recognized Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. So the very fact that they don't tells you that they never believed the words of the prophets either. Another way of putting it, the fact that they did not believe in Christ proved that they did not have God's word dwelling in them. By the way, that's no different today. The proof that they, no, somebody doesn't have God's word dwelling in them is that they don't believe in Christ. Turn that around. How do, you, how do you begin to have God's word dwelling in you? You believe in Christ. By the way, how do you believe in Christ? Through that first word you hear of the gospel. So there's this tight connection between faith and the word of God. All the way through. And now today in these dark times that we're in, people still need to hear the word of the Lord so that they can believe. And by the way, they need a witness who will preach the good news to them. How will they call on the Lord if they haven't believed? How will they believe in him if they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher, without somebody to tell them the word? And how will anybody preach unless they are sent? 
But while the Lord answers that question, I want you to listen to him in John 20, 21. Last verse. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. All right, let's close in prayer and get ready for the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the majestic ways in which you have testified through in so many ways to your Son. We also know, Father, that now that he's died and rose again for us, now that you've provided to us everything in the Bible about him, you then call us to be his witnesses as well. You send us to people so that they can hear the good news and believe. We also ask this morning, Father, that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that we would bring these things to remembrance as we honor your Son, as we, as we bring into remembrance his death on our behalf. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. And now I would like to invite ushers forward today so that you can pass out the communion elements. So today we've seen witnesses and testimony. And here we are as the body of Christ, and we are so graced out in that area. For we have been given the full realm of testimony about who Lord Jesus Christ is. And we have the spirit in our hearts to make it all understandable to us. Jesus is in Genesis, in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, in the Psalms, in the prophets like Isaiah and Micah, and Jeremiah and Zechariah. He's, of course, in the Gospels and the Epistles as well. We have heard his word. and We have seen the Father in the face of the Son. And we have believed that he is our Savior. And guess what that means? It means we're witnesses too. These things have been written in our hearts so that others might see and hear these things and believe in him as well. We are his witnesses. And Jesus says to us again, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And we give witness to the death of Christ every time we gather as one to eat the bread and drink the cup. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter where we might be in the coming days. Each time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we become his witnesses and we proclaim the death of the Lord until he returns. For I received from the Lord, Paul writes, that which I have delivered to you also, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you both for the
amazing, gracious bounty you've given us of, of your word. We also, Father, know and ask that we be challenged to take the riches of your word and share them with others who have not heard it yet. And we ask that too in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, as a reminder again, our Bible study this Thursday, July 8th at 6.30, will be at CAM Consulting. By the way, for those of you that either can't make it or on, uh, at a distance on the Internet, we will continue to run Skype. That's not going to change, okay, just so you know. Um, our giving policy is that we don't pass the basket, we don't ask for pledges, we don't tithe, okay? What we do is we're, we're faithful to what the Word of God says to us, which is that when we have been blessed, we give, okay? And that is the principle. And we give not, not because we have to, not because someone will be impressed, but simply out of love and gratitude for the Lord, understanding that the world's goods do allow His work to continue. They do help people in need. And so always have that on your mind, the motivation, the motivation. As I do speak of that this morning, as a practical note, we're still getting uh, checks in the mail that are addressed here. All right, in about a month, that's not going to work anymore. Okay? There'll, be, there'll be people at a Jewish funeral home saying, what are you doing with this? Right? So the reminder is, especially if you use online banking, where it's kind of sent out automatically and you don't think about it necessarily. And, well, those, there's an address in there, and I'm, we know because we're still getting the checks that it's still the old address. So we would ask that you change that, all right, to the new address. That is, if you want, them, want us to receive them, that's what you need to do. All right, 3907 North Federal Highway, Suite 223, Pompano Beach, Florida, 33064. You know, um, I also need to thank our people, all of you who have been so faithful and givers and participated. I especially want to thank our leadership and service team. I want to thank Elder Mark Pomeroy and his wife, Margie. I want to thank Jack and his wife, Salida. I want to, I want to thank Josh who has been so faithful with our technology when we needed him to be, and his wife and his son and, her, and their daughter, Nicole and Sadie. And if I missed anybody, I apologize. You can chew me out later. But I just understood. Look, we, we needed every one of those contributions. We need those people. We need their hearts, just as we need all of you, in order to sustain what we've done. And some have made such sacrifices. Lethe's another one. She's not here today. Such sacrifices for us. And I think, especially here, as we close out our years here, we need to recognize that and give thanks to the Lord. And, oh, it wouldn't hurt if we give thanks to them as well. All right. Let's close in prayer again. Father, we thank you again. We thank you for all the years that you've sustained us here. We know that you are still faithful. The same Lord that has provided for us here, you will continue to provide us wherever we go. And we understand, too, Father, that it's really, ultimately, the people, the body of Christ. We are the church. And though we love what you've blessed us with here, we also know that ultimately it's our life together that gives witness and glory to you and your son. So we know that you'll sustain that. We ask, Father, especially for your guidance and prayers and provision 
as we move into this new stage. We ask, too, Father, that you would um, look over and watch over every, every person who's a part of our congregation and help them in any way. Help us to know how to help them in any way so that we all continue together. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And with that, you are dismissed. You can take your time here, okay, but this is it. From now forward, we're going to be at another place. Same people, hopefully. Another location. All right.